0: Welcome to The Ferment, everyone. With Caroline on holidays, I took the chance to catch up with Chief Viticulturist Brett McLenn and get an update on the 2020 vintage and how each of our vineyards has fared. There was so much good stuff that came out of it, I've had to split it into two parts. This, part one, focuses on Victoria and part two, Tasmania. Please enjoy our 2020 vintage review with Brett McLenn. Welcome to The ferment, everyone. Just a quick heads up, I'm flying solo today as my trusted colleague Caroline is on leave. But as they say, the show must go on. I thought that given I'm on my lonesome, we might take a different tact. And instead of an in-depth interview with one of our colleagues at Brown Family Wine Group, we might get a vintage update, vineyard to vineyard across Victoria and Tasmania. And who better to guide us through this than our very own chief viticulturist, Brett McLennan?
1: Brett, how are you, buddy? I'm oh, very well, thank you, Harry. It's <laughs> nice to be joining you here uh, on this bit of a drizzly day. What do you call this? Studio 54 or something? St- what studi- <laughs>
0: Studio 54. No, we, we're not allowed to go there, apparently. Okay. Not, not on work hours. Okay. Uh, Studio One. Studio One. Studio One. Very privileged to be in Studio One. Yeah. Good to be here, mate. No, absolutely fantastic to get in front of you. A heads up for our listeners, we will definitely have an interview with you down the track, but I don't want to take... You know the fun of an interview. Off uh, Caroline, myself being there to interview. You. We will have Brett back for a full interview uh, later on in the, in the sessions. Mm, geez, there's a treat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're <laughs> everyone is looking forward to it. I'm sure. Firstly, um, just a couple of questions. How long have you worked for Brown Family Wine Group?
1: Uh, Twelve years now. All of a sudden. Yeah, getting younger every day. Yeah.
0: yeah. So.
1: Just becoming part of the furniture, I'd say. Yeah,
0: yes. and uh, always in the same role? Yes. And what's been the biggest change since you
1: started? Oh, I'd have to say the acquisition of the Tassie Vineyards, for me personally, um, that expansion down into Tasmania in such a large way. Um, Clocked up a
0: few extra frequent flyer miles? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, you don't get too many of them flying um, Jetstar, but yeah, um, I think not only the vineyards, the scale, the, uh, the cool climate viticulture, but also a whole new team that had previously worked in another business and integrating, you know, not only people into our sort of culture but also systems and processes and rolling them out down there. So that was quite a big period of change. Um, But it's been a terrific one for us.
0: I did a trip down to Tassie about... Probably two years ago, three years ago, and the, <laughs> the person in the um, hire car company uh, knew your name and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and, uh, so you, 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 yeah. You, you've got a good a rep, your reputation precedes uh, right, you. Right, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, that's
1: always a worry, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: The, I think she was a bit nervous that my car wasn't sitting there ready to go with the keys in it. Uh, <laughs> so she ought to have been. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> And just uh, um, prior to working
1: with us, where were you there? Uh, I was up in Rutherglen for uh, four or five years, looking after a group of vineyards up there. It was one of those sort of now infamous managed investment schemes. Yeah, but that was that was really good. Um, prior to that, I was um, after graduating out of uni, I was in Mildura working in uh, wine grapes, but also in tree crops like citrus, almonds, avocados, that sort of thing, um, really sort of large-scale stuff. So, yeah, it's been a... I, I'd never sort of intended to go straight into wine grapes but it's I'm very for, it's been fortuitous that it's worked out that way because it's been a very rewarding vocation
0: yeah awesome awesome oh thanks for that Brett so let's get stuck into vintage Um, I thought we might go from our oldest vineyard to our youngest so just a reminder for our listeners we're recording this on the 4th of March so all information is up to date to that time and uh, so we'll kick off with Milawa uh, established in 1885 the vineyard's 155 metres above sea level and pretty flat. Uh, we don't have too many uh, rises and uh, hills or anything here, flat uh, flat vineyard. In fact, I remember reading, I think it was in Not A Bad Drop, that Milawa has some sort of loose Aboriginal meanings to the word flatland. 60 hectare vineyard of Riesling, Prosecco, Dolcetto, Shiraz, Cabernet, Mondoos and Grafiano. So, Brett, let's get a bit of an overview of the growing season for
1: Milawa. Yeah, well... Um, look, up until I guess just before Christmas, probably the, the overriding theme was uh, it had been dry. Uh, we've really only had about probably less than half of the typical growing season rainfall you know, from the records that have been taken by the Brand family back over 100 years. It had been a fairly cool start to the year, cool and windy, and that uh, probably our, our bunch size and our fruit set isn't quite as strong as it can be because of those conditions throughout. Um, and then it all took a bit of a turn um, with the um, you know, the bushfires and, and and all of the uh, the problems that they've caused for the you know really broadly right across the nation um, but certainly the smoke from those has been um, the the predominant theme thereon. on um, yeah. and that's been a really major challenge um, so there's been an awful lot of um, testing of grapes and all of those things um, since that point so since kind of early January when we really were incurring all that. So so prior to smoke, yeah, cool season. In the second half of December, things really, you know, we had about five days over 40, I think, in the second half of December and that really got things moving because it was a little bit slow prior to that. And then January was above average. February was pretty, was above average also, even though the second half of February was a little bit more moderate. So that's brought things on um, pretty well. But, yeah, beyond all that, we've just been trying to sort our way through um, through the challenges that smoke of provided for us
0: um talking to the winemakers they're um quite optimistic actually given that there is some some positive results with the smoke but they're actually not um seeing a lot of that flavor come out in the wines um i'm not sure if they're just talking generally or whether that's about miller itself but um yeah it'll be interesting to see how that sort of pans out across the next two or three months
1: yeah it will and it's one of the good things is that the smoke is certainly limited to northeast Victoria. Yep. we haven't seen anything in the Arrow Valley or Heathcote or, or the Murray Valley for that matter. Yep, um, and we do source grapes as as you know from a wide range of regions right across Victoria, mm. um, as well as Tassie, obviously. But um, so the smoke's been confined to here. It's interesting when you say you're talking to the winemakers that probably us as a business, um, when we take into account two thousand seven, two thousand nine. I would say there's probably not another group of winemakers or expertise within a company within Australia or within the world, for that matter, that knows as much about handling smoke as what our team does.
0: Yeah, not the most enviable position to no, be in. But no, no, uh, <laughs> by,
1: by necessity, unfortunately, but, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of, there's, there's a number of winemakers on the team there who were here in 2007 dealing with the smoke from Banksdale and other vineyards that year, so there's been a hell of a lot of testing, Um And we are going to reject some grapes, and unfortunately, some of the grapes here at Millaw. We we, we tested two ways. We tested, we, we monitored the air quality and smoke composition leading up to vintage, and then since then, we've been sending fruit away and wine samples away for analysis after ripening. And the distribution of smoke, I mean, some areas are worse than others So areas, you know, poor Punker, Things like that were, were very bad um, Millawar itself We got quite a lot of smoke uh, Presumably I think smoke Sort of coming from, you know Down the Ovens Valley Probably from the King Valley And even some of the other uh, Coriong fires I think Um, whereas if you move south into the King Valley and further right up sort of around Whitfield, we seem to be seeing lower levels of smoke up there. So fortunately we've been able to um, take in some of our growers' fruit, which is great because we enjoy sustainable ongoing relationships with growers, Um, and fruit from Banksdale's been a little bit of a mixed bag. We've got some slightly higher readings, but um, we're only applying really, really stringent. There'll be nothing going out that isn't, you know, Clean. fully up to what we would expect for our brand yeah, um, but by mixing you know through winemaking techniques um, particularly with white grapes where we can um, treat the wine to some degree um, without compromising the quality of it too much we're very confident that you know still not Absolutely certain. Um, we're going to have to see how things look post-vintage and some pretty detailed wine assessments, but we, we think we're in the hunt. Yeah,
0: yeah it's great. Mm. Um, now, uh, leading up to the vintage, uh, did we do anything new at Millewa this year? Were we looking at any sort of cost savings or um, vineyard techniques or anything that
1: we've um, implemented here that's... Probably the bulk of our focus this year was getting our first crop of Prosecco. Yes. Um up and, and running which um, Sean Dean had done a wonderful job and, and, and Darren and Laurie and the team down here of uh, of developing and um, so it was pretty sad to see really that we're it's looking like we're not going to bring those grapes in for making yeah, wine out of yep. unfortunately because they were, they were just looking magnificent mm. um, such as the insidious nature of it um, so that's a f- that was a fairly full workload because whilst that first crop was coming on the second stage of that development, another 10-hectare planting is going in, so there's a lot of vine training, a lot of developmental work, you know, a lot going on through the winter, but even after the vines are planted last October, um, there's a fair bit of work in, in, in keeping across all that. So I think having Prosecco, a new birth for the Miller Vineyard, has been a real excitement for us because um, prior to that point it was starting to become a little bit gappy. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that was a 10-hectare planting the first
1: yeah all oh, 11 and a half and, then and a half. there's another 10 gone in wow yeah
0: yeah, yeah which will bring so, milleror up to a pretty substantial prosecco will. vineyard
1: it yeah. will indeed yeah. and um one of the real advantages here i mean it's obviously king valley Appalachian, but also we've got a really good security of water mm. um, so that's terrific um and having some some good geographical spread you know but not uh, not just having everything at Banksdale, and we've now got quite a lot of growers of prosecco yeah. and Uh, whereas, you know, our first harvest of it was back in 2008 with about 94 tonnes and I think our plans this year were somewhere around 3,500 tonnes so it's certainly (laughs) moved along. Yeah, Yeah.
0: absolutely, absolutely. All right, we might move along as well and uh, talk about Mystic Park which was our um, second vineyard or second vineyard that we still have within the portfolio. So that was purchased in 1968 post the frost that hit us in uh, uh, 1967 frost. Yeah. About 71 metres above sea level there, um, 245 hectares, which makes it our biggest vineyard. Yep. And uh, we've got some Sienna, Musket of Alexandria for our Moscato and Zabibo products, Orange Musket, Crucian, Dolcetto, Flora, and we've got some experimental uh, vines in as well. We do. Now, a notable absentee, and I'm hoping it's caught up in this experimental block, is uh, Nero d'Avila.
1: Yes. Yep.
0: Yes. It's in there. It is. It is. It's good. It good. is perfect. Perfect. Yep. yep.
1: So how did that fare? Yeah. Look, uh, dry yeah. is the issue there, and we have seen a shortfall in water allocations. So we've at this point in time we've only got fifty nine percent of our water licence, um, and we're also I think we're on about seventy two percent of our Heathcote vineyard as well. But um, so we made the decision to go out and purchase water from the temporary water from the, from the water market. So we've spent close to just over half a million bucks on, on water this year. Yeah, so it just goes to show the you know, how critical that is. So that's just due to the, over the past few years, slightly below average rainfall in the catchments and Dartmouth and Hume reservoirs in particular have just been getting lower and lower, not getting replenished each year. So that's played out in, in um, reduced allocations this year. So we'll all be going to church on Sunday and hoping that we get good runoff in the coming winter and that um, those storages are replenished. Because um, if they're not, then you know it, it'll be interesting come next year. And what's we haven't seen shortages in the Murray since uh, two thousand and eight. And what's really changed since then is a lot of an awful lot of almond plantations, large scale ones, um, have gone in, and um, these orchards are set up on basis of only owning a portion of their water and that they buy a certain amount each year because quite often water's quite cheap, uh, it's relatively expensive to buy as a permanent asset. Um, so that has you know, put a, bit of, a, a lot more competition into the water market so you know, that'll be something we need to um, watch pretty closely going forward. We've got you know, 100% of our own water but unfortunately this year only you know, 59% of it thus far has actually been allocated so we've, we've purchased that additional allocation. But we've got a really good crop up there. John and the team have done a fantastic job. We've just finished harvesting Prosecco from up there. Uh, we're into the Shadow at the moment. And I was up there last Wednesday, and it looks very, very smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very pleased. Our, we've got yields there that are probably slightly slightly above target, which is great because um, everywhere else I was talking before about Miller with the sort of cool, windy conditions affecting flower, we seem to be seeing that at a lot of in a lot of areas, sort of reduced yields, whereas Mystic um, is looking pretty strong, so... Yeah, we're really pleased with how that's shaping up.
0: Yeah, nice. And again, with the Mystic Park Vineyard, any sort of sustainability, um, environmental savings um, going on up there at the moment?
1: We've been doing a little bit of um, satellite imagery and these sorts of things. And um, Eric (laughs) Clark flying over, taking um, plant cell density images and things like that so that we're focusing in on, um, we're actually getting images of what the water status of the vine's like, what the level of growth is like and areas that we may need to consider applying under vine mulch and things like that and uh, we've been focusing for quite some time on improving our water use efficiency there so sort of not necessarily applying less water but trying to maximise the amount of tonnes we grow per megalitre that we apply and that's been improving for for quite a while Um, so we're very pleased about that. We Certainly also as you alluded to before we're looking forward to um, some new varietals hopefully getting a go, but uh, this will be our first crop of Nero Diavola since we had some at Heathcote quite a while ago. So we're we're holding a high hope and hoping that that um, yeah, looks strong and um, the fruit looks magnificent. So I'd say it'll be getting picked sometime the next week, week Absolutely. to ten days, yeah.
0: And we've still got a few of the CSIRO we number do. varieties that do are indeed. unnamed at the moment. Yep. And
1: Yep, so we've got... Um, still got a few whites and those in, and two new red varieties, um, MI89 and MS00. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember that name? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so they they look interesting. And, yeah, we, we had a little, very, very small halves of those last year. There's only half an acre of each one. Um, this year we'll have a little bit more for um, for Tom and uh, some of the others to play with in the winery. And it'll be interesting to see how they go. Who knows? It might be the next Sienna in amongst them or the next um you know, Crucian or something like that, hopefully amongst the whites. But yes, we've got irons in the fire there. Yeah, so.
0: wouldn't that be lovely? It would. Yeah, you got, got Prosecco growing as it is and then throw another unusual varietal yeah, in. Like yeah, and
1: minutes. actually, you've just prompted my memory. It would be remiss of me not to mention it'll be our first crop of black musket also. Ah, fantastic. That we've ever grown, and that is for the Innocent Bystander Moscato. So that's mm-hmm. a, it's a nice uh, musket-flavoured grape, but with, um, with the black skin, mm-hmm. and that just gives that nice pink... To the, uh, to the innocent bystander Moscato. So we're pleased to be able to bring some of that in-house for the first time. Excellent. Fantastic. Are you looking for the one? Introducing Brown Brothers Moscato One range. Extremely refreshing and only one standard drink per serve. Moscato One is served in a 250ml can for your convenience. So now you can have your favourite Moscato whenever you please. Guilt free. Brown Brothers Moscato One, Choose the
0: one.
1: All right, let's move
0: where we'll make our way back into the King Valley and up in the higher altitudes now to our Banksdale vineyard. You touched on it a little bit, but established 1994, it's pretty much all of our external presentation around this vineyard is that it's 485 metres above sea level. Now, I'm having a guess that that's at the very top of the Banksdale vineyard. What would it be at the lowest point?
1: Maybe 400. Yeah. It, it, I, I know, as soon as it falls time. away too much, we, we you know, the vines are really up on the ridge top, so it does drop yep. away a little bit, but yep. yeah, it wouldn't be much below 400. The yeah, vineyard.
0: so somewhere between 400 and 485 metres above sea level. Yeah. 118 hectares at the moment, and we have... A lot of Prosecco, (laughs) (laughs) Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, Tempranillo and a little bit of Albarino and Gamay.
1: Correct, we do.
0: And uh, yeah, you did touch a little bit on the smoke, but uh, what else can you tell us about the Banksdale Vineyard for 2020?
1: Oh, look, light crops this year. Um, And I think that's just, for some reason, I don't know how to explain it scientifically, but vines just seem to know when they're... Getting only irrigation and not much rainfall, they seem to be able to differentiate <laughs> <laughs> because we've applied an awful lot of water. But in spite of that, our our bunch sizes down. Our fruit set was a perhaps not as strong as we've seen. Um, so yes, the, the crops are all back because normally we enjoy really reliable and really productive yields um, at Banksdale, and you know, and really good wine quality. And this year, wine quality is somewhat difficult to assess due to the, the smoke um, and. So we've bought in some Pinot Grigio, we've bought in some Prosecco, i have bought in a little bit of Chardonnay. We just finished harvesting the Tempranillo this morning um, and it looks pretty good. We've picked Gamma, we've picked a, a little bit of Albarino. So we're, we're getting a good spread of grapes in from there but we're being very selective about the blocks that seem to be showing lower levels of smoke-related compounds. Unfortunately, some blocks do seem to have some moderate to high levels of smoke and unfortunately we're just going to um, not bring those into the winery, we just think it's not worth the risk, um, but we'll be doing everything we can with all the remainder. So Mark and the team have done a great job of keeping their um, attitudes positive and making sure they do the very best job of that. But, you know, the smoke is, um, yeah, been a, well, we haven't had to deal with it for a while. But, uh, yeah, it has been uh, something, you know, the main issue probably. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just a lot of water. We're left with very small amounts in the dams as, as we speak because of the amount that we've applied through the season. It's been a really high application year.
0: It's interesting, I... I remember sowing some grass seed uh, like I'm talking like five, six years ago yeah. and loading it up with water and it was just tiny, tiny little shoots and then we got almost a day of rain yeah. and the next day it had yeah. near-doubled... Turbo blast. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like yeah. rain is like water on steroids for, it, for yeah. green growth. Yeah, it's
1: a bit of nitrification or something <laughs> happening. And yeah. Yes, that's right. So... Um, yeah, well, and, you know, this rain we're getting at the moment as we speak, which is the 4th of March, so we're forecast to get a, a couple of inches or thereabouts, which, you know, it's the first decent rain we've had for a while, so the vines will handle that pretty well and um, hopefully that's going to uh, get a bit of runoff into our dams and the streams and so on, set us up pretty well for winter. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Yes, but certainly um, yields that are back on average, uh, no doubt about that from, from Banksdale and Miller for that matter. Um, and Heathcote too so yeah um, this area and, and the Arrow Valley which we'll talk about but yeah we just seem to be seeing below average yields but as I said earlier Mystic Park looking pretty strong so yep. mm.
0: and Banksdale's a very vigorous site what, yep. what are we doing to manage that vigour uh, in the vineyard at the moment there used to be different cover crops and things like that or is that still yeah
1: well when particularly when we had Cabernet Sauvignon it was pretty hard to control so we did have some sort of dwarf fescue plantings under vine that did slow them up a bit um, but to be honest this day and age of meat being mostly a white vineyard um, the is not as big a issue we want to keep that fruit really that beautiful sort of bright green and um, prevent any sunburn whatsoever um, so in the dry years that we're having we've, we've probably got a lot more control over the vigour than what we used to have yep so things like Shiraz and Cabernet up there in a wet year would get very vigorous and, and sometimes quite shaded so you could end up with a bit that could be a bit lean and mean, but um, we haven't really been having to contend with those issues for quite a while. So if anything, to be honest, we are focusing on some of the areas that tend to dry out a bit and we've actually been applying undervine mulch um, to those areas. Um, the o- specifically, the opposite. <laughs> we have really gone full circle. Once yeah. upon a time it would have been, how are we are going to slow these vines down? And, yep. now, and now we're kind of like, well, how are we going to stop them from um, getting into any form of stress in, yep. in certain areas? Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, you know, and that's just part of the, uh, the changing nature of things over, over time. Yeah.
0: The, um, the cabinet coming out, has that been replaced with Prosecco or is that just... Uh, no, it's still vacant, vacant but it, it's yeah. there.
1: And um, we have been doing a little bit of work on shoring up water security at Bankstyle, So we've put a bore in and a couple of other things. So that might enable us to expand a little bit more there in time if, if the demand is such. Yep. Um, so we, we do have still have some vacant land up there. Yeah, so we have the potential to expand down the track, so that's nice to know.
0: Okay, so from Banksdale, we head to Heathcote, established in uh, 1999. Um, Heathcote ranges from about 110 metres above sea level up to just under 190. Uh, 92 hectares at the moment. Uh, Shiraz, Merlot, Cabernet, Dolcetto, Giriff, Tempranillo, Malbec, and a very, very tiny little bit of Montepulciano. Oh, I'm glad you included that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, couldn't couldn't leave out the Monty. <laughs> no. <laughs> How did the uh, the rich Cambrian soils fare up this year?
1: Well, look, the vineyard just looks absolutely magnificent. And right through the season, very strong. Again, as I mentioned, we had to purchase some water just to make up for the shortfall in allocations. But Carl's done a terrific job uh, with his management over there. Even I've been surprised. The, the yields have actually been back on what we were expecting. The bunch is just way lighter. And once again, we, you know, we Applied plenty of water, but the bunch is just way light. It didn't look particularly light crop, but it is probably 20 to 30% below um, average or where we'd like to be, which has been good in some of the, uh, like a Patricia block that's been bang on the market, about five and a half to six tonnes a hectare. Um, but some of our blocks where we, we target sort of around nine tonnes to the hectare have only been coming in in the sixes. Mm. Uh, but quality looks exceptional. Uh, so that's sorry, really but just important. before
0: we move on, the if it's say it's nine ton to the hectare, what is that to the acre approximately? Oh, uh,
1: just under four. Under so four, four ton to the acre is ten tons of to the hectare,
0: and that would be going into eighteen eighty nine sort of level. Correct. Wow, so that's really quite low for that. that level. yeah.
1: So yeah. I'm I'm sure it's going to well and truly over deliver in terms <laughs> of uh, quality. We, we're only part way through the Shiraz. I might add. So there's a couple of blocks that are. Still ripening that I think will be a bit stronger yield-wise. Um, the Dolcetto's been really strong. Uh, well, it's been on target yield-wise. The Merlot looks pretty good. We're not into that yet. Um, so we're only about 20% into the vintage thus far, but the Shiraz that we have picked, and it's quite often the way your lighter crops tend to ripen first. Uh, so we've picked a little bit for Rosé, and then the rest has been coming in for 1889, and hopefully we'll be picking our Patricia Shiraz uh, next week. Um uh, Giriff's still got a ways to go, Tempranillo's got a little little way to go but yes yeah, so I think from now on after this rain clears we'll be into a, a pattern of harvesting each day and chew our way through it so yeah I think we're going to get some exceptional quality out of it. Um, Free of smoke as I mentioned that's that's terrific, um, just goes to show the benefit of not all not having all of your eggs in the one basket um, so yeah we're, we're in the hunt for some, some really good quality albeit yields will be slightly back um, but you know that's the nature of agriculture. They do tend to uh, oscillate a bit. So, Brett, uh, there's a few
0: rumours going around that we're having a crack at uh, trialling some organic uh, farming practices, and Heathcote was a choice, an obvious choice for you to, to go down that path?
1: Yeah, it was um, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we seem to have fairly low disease pressure there, and uh, and also, we're not chasing really high yields because nutrition can be a bit of an issue with an organic system. You know, getting enough nutrition in when you're relying on you know, organic uh, fertilisers and so on. So, um, given we're not necessarily ch- chasing huge yields or, or vigorous vines, um, yeah, the main concern that I had was how we were actually going to maintain weed control. And many of the listeners will have read some of the media around glyphosate and. The, you know the hype around that so we, we as much as anything um you know that we there's a lot of talk about organic wine but also um what are we going to do when roundup? you know we don't apply it probably once a year maybe twice a year in a couple of situations or zero times a year in, in some situations but nonetheless um i think the writing's on the wall that we may not have that so we wanted to get ahead of the curve there and really try to understand um how we're going to go if we were to go down an organic line how will we go with weed control and um so so far so good. We've been able to trial a couple of organic herbicides, which are um, you'd think there was liquid gold running through them for the expense of them. But they're <laughs> sort of organic acids that desiccate the grass and so on. Um, we we just we don't mind a few weeds, but if you let it get carried away, it can start to really compete with the vine and become very very untidy. Um, and then there's the, the cultivation option for for going along and digging up under vine. But we we really don't want to do that. We don't want to upset the dirt too much. We don't want to cause any structural decline and so on. So but. You know, if time comes, you might have to consider that. We've also um, applied compost under vine in a few rows to see, will that smother the weeds out and how will that go? You can't really answer all these questions in one year, so you've got to yeah. get something up and running and, you know, get the knowledge in-house. So that's why we've, we've set it up. So Block D3 is down an organic system and, um, yeah, so far so good. I mean, it looks... We haven't picked it yet, but it's, it's looking good. So, uh, you yeah, know, we might be able to drink some wine. Harry, it doesn't give you a hangover if, uh, <laughs> all, if all the claims the rumor, are right. <laughs> all the rumours are
0: true. But So it's just one block at this stage?
1: Just one block. Yep. yep.
0: And so will you think that that will be rolled out across the vineyard at some stage or...?
1: I think yeah. uh, at some stage, you know, it, from what I can gather, I think the markets in Europe are quite conscious of, of these sorts of issues and, and ask a lot of questions around you know, the provenance of the wine and what was the the system under which it was grown. Um, I don't know that there's a huge amount of consumer leadership in the domestic market on it, but that's just from my perspective. I'm no expert on the matter. Um, So, look, ultimately I think if the customer demands it and uh, are prepared to pay the premium for it, then I would imagine we would. But for the time being there's no really clear um, plan, but we just want to get that knowledge on board anyway because, you know, the... The vibe, <laughs> there is a bit of that uh, going on and I think it's becoming more and more topical. So we want to try and understand what's life like if we're trying to manage vineyards under an organic system.
0: Yep. Mm. Yeah, certainly on my experience of travels overseas, the organic, biodynamic, sustainable, fair trade, all of those things, especially yes. in Scandinavia, yes. are absolutely paramount in terms of consumers' conscious decision when they're making a choice in in a product. And it might, it's not wine Exclusively, yep. Um, A hotel that I stayed at, they had the sort of sustainability credits, so everything was weighed into the hotel and weighed out of the hotel. So Mm. if it was a bottle of wine that weighed, you know, just under a kilogram going in, but then you've got whatever it is 250 grams of glass going out, well, then you've got a problem, and so to offset that, they only had. Um, organic or biodynamic wines on their list because they got better credits for that right. to hit the sustainability level. So certainly Scandinavia, it's huge. Um, UK's sort of moving a little bit quickly on it, but um, certainly we haven't seen the same take-up here in Australia. Not from consumer point of view. Certainly from the gatekeepers, Yeah, um, they're starting to ask the questions, but the uh, the consumers aren't really um, jumping on board as much yeah. as the gatekeepers. So, are, so, yeah, so that's
1: yeah. the reason for... Doing it so that we've we've got that knowledge in-house if and when that uh, that demand does come. So, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And,
0: and, and how long does accreditation take if you... Oh, look,
1: I think that takes about three years. So three we're not percent. necessarily going down an accreditation path at this point, but yeah. we are running this block as though it is fully organic um, and we plan to keep it that way. Um, and, you know, there's no plans to kind of go, OK, well, next year we'll go back to normal. And I might just add that our normal is not, you know, it's not like there's a whole heap of highly synthetic type things going on. It wasn't really that big a change for us, to, to be honest. It'll be interesting to see how, over the, a few seasons how, how we go maintaining the nutrition and, as I mentioned, the, uh, the undervine sward, um, how, how we go with that. that. They're the things that we really want to get a handle on. But the disease control, we, we haven't had to change too much. It's pretty much sulphur and copper based. We just had to change the formulation to an organically certified formulation, which I think... It's just that these formulations happen to be certified. They're not all that different to what we use on everything else. It would be remiss of us not to mention the
0: Yarra Valley, even though we don't have any vines there. So how did we fare down in the Yarra?
1: Well, Yarra's one where we're, they're above average on rainfall. And to go down there now, that, look, the crops look pretty light. But I think, again, that should all go really well for quality. So we, we've got enough crepes on paper um, to support the, uh, the IB demand. Um, but, yeah, they're just particularly when you get into some of the upper Yarra, they've got the signs of you know, having had a fair bit of rainfall, particularly since early January. They've had, they had quite a lot of rain down there. Um, some little uh, small outbreaks of downy mildew and things like that. But by and large, yeah, really strong, looking really good. So we're looking forward to that. But they haven't been immune from the hen and chicken phenomena either. Uh, some of the Pinot Noir, particularly a clone we call MV6. And so... That's had a bit of hen and chicken, again, so reduced bunch weight. So the yields will be down a fraction. And uh, they're into that now, we've already bought some um, Pinot Noir in from one of our large growers Air Coombe Farm, for Rosé. And the table Pinot's now starting to come in. And the, the boys have just been down there on Monday, and I think an awful lot of it they've scheduled. So you know, the next couple of weeks, we'll see a pretty big hole in our Yarra Valley intake. So uh, that's a really good thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: And, and how are we going, like obviously not having our own vineyards down there, how are we going shoring up our contract growers? and
1: Yeah, so Sean Dean um, works very closely with all the growers down there and he's got a really good system in place where we sort of have a rolling contract situation. So some of our really strategic growers we can put in multiple year contracts and then have them sort of cascading out so that as one grower, we've got other growers in and we can renew contracts and have that rolling thing in so that we're not left – with too onerous. Uh, we, we don't necessarily want everything contracted for five years plus or else if things change um, it's very, it gets difficult to, to change your your intake and your, and your obligations. So yep no problem. Um, it was fortunate with the Yarra Valley there's already a core of vineyards there whereas when we went into Tassie they just didn't exist so we were sort of growing everything 100% ourselves but we've now signed up a few growers in Tassie uh, whereas the Yarra Valley all of those vineyards already existed, so there's really no need for us to own a vineyard down there at this point in time. Um, perhaps in the long run we might do something. Who knows? But um, yeah, I mean, Sean's set up a group of really um, a, a nice group of growers down there for us in terms of um, you know, good quality growers, uh, good people to deal with, and um, you know our typical sort of philosophy to that. And um, so yeah, we're getting some pretty good regular supply. So yeah, we're well well situated.
0: Yeah, brilliant. So we're pretty much finished off on our vineyards and the Yarra Valley, but I just wanted to um, just ask a quick question around if we are going to leave some fruit out there up here in the King Valley, have we got contract growers that will be able to or have we been able to pick up some extra contract
1: growers? How's that sort of panned out? We have. We were able to pick up a bit of extra fruit out of the Murray Valley that was not smoke affected in response to what was happening locally. So to take advantage of our footprint that we've got right across the the various growing regions of Victoria. Uh, But, you know, it's very hard to substitute. For instance, Prosecco, most of it's grown in the King Valley. is not a heap elsewhere. So that's where really the the, the amount of testing and the amount of monitoring that we've done really comes to the fore. So we're uh, actually, you know, going with growers where those smoke levels are low and then we can use winemaking techniques and we're sharing that risk. I mean... pretty painful time for great growers so we we're not 100% certain how those wines are going to come out we're confident but we're not 100% certain but we our partnerships with those growers are a really important pillar for us so uh, we're bringing that in and you know we're, we're pretty confident but we're, we're sort of not wanting to leave growers without any home for their fruit and having to drop it all so we have probably overall, I think fair to say, we're probably going to have a slightly reduced intake locally than what we have in the past because only most of the fruit we've rejected is our own, to be honest. Um, so we're, we're prepared. We're not just going to spring our own in and reject other people's. We'll really just apply a, a genuine lens over it that looks for, okay, well, what is the lowest smoke-level fruit that we can find? And a lot of that's been really around the southern king at this point in time. So um, that's been our philosophy and, yeah, uh, so yes, we've picked up extra growers outside the region, not so much new growers within, um, but we're going to be able to make enough wine to meet our demand. So that's the main thing. brilliant.
0: Thanks for listening to the ferment, everyone. Some key takeouts from the 2020 vintage in Victoria: cool flowering causing hen and chicken, very dry and hot December and January. Water was stretched especially at Mystic Park and Heathcote. Yields are good at Mystic Park, but will most likely be down across our other vineyards. Some positive tests for smoke, but winemaking team confident of navigating this and producing high-quality wines. So don't forget to email us if you've got any feedback, or ferment at brownfwg.com.au. Coming up in our next episode is part two of Brett McLenn's take on the 2020 vintage, focusing on Tasmania. Thanks for listening to the firm, and everyone. Stay safe out there. Chase hard, and look out for each other.